So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Barry, welcome to the podcast. It's really awesome to have you on. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Look, the reason that I invited you on, Barry, is um, I have such great admiration for you. And in the time that we've been working together, I've seen, you know, you're someone who's extremely coachable. You strive for absolute growth at all times. And, you know, you're never done. You have that attitude of there's always room to improve. And what I thought would be really interesting in terms of um, sharing your story with others is I'd love to start at the beginning. Can you just give us a really quick overview of, you know, where you grew up and, you know, what did your family teach you about money and wealth? Okay. So, originally I come from New Zealand. Um, 60 years ago, I was born in, in New Zealand and I studied there, went to school there, did my university. So, I'm a dentist by profession and uh, when I graduated, I did a couple of years in, in uh, New Zealand before coming to Australia, 35 years ago now there. My, my family background is from the land, so we're farmers, we're market gardeners growing vegetables. There. And, and I guess for us, hard work was always the, 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 the main driver to, to getting anywhere uh, in this world there. So we're always very mindful about money not being, uh, always being frugal. And, uh, and I was quite fortunate, my mum and dad were quite heavily into investing as well too. So they always left some money aside. They didn't, well, they didn't spend it all and left some for, for the future there. So I guess for me, I had some good influences growing up. Coming over 35 years ago, I had, had nothing. I had no job, no money. So I basically like a new migrant coming over here. <laughs> and, and I guess um, from that moment, looking back, I was grateful my, my parents gave me a good education to be able to further my, my life. Uh, didn't want us to go back to the, the hard land, the hard life on land itself there. But yeah, so so moving forward there, so I got a job here, worked for dentists for a while and they asked me to to buy and so we, we bought a, a part of the practice. So currently I own the practice of another dentist as well too there. And so through through the time, um, I've always thought that the business is your main cash flow and it's what you do with the cash flow that makes you wealthy there. So I, I knew that dentists are comfortable, but they, they won't become wealthy unless they do something with their money there. So I had this goal of retiring at 40. <laughs> when, when children come along, then uh, your goals, your goalposts change. Yeah, but you still had that, that goal there. So I'm a little bit behind in terms of timeframes there. Tell me, um, just in terms of your career choice as a as a dentist, like you know, people would look at you now and and think that you've had a, a fairly easy journey, and you know, you run a, a very successful practice now. But why dentistry in the first place? Was it a financially driven decision? I think it was probably one of my parents' wish list. I think that they they had other family friends whose children went through dentistry, and they said that uh, they they found it to be a a, a comfortable lifestyle there. Yeah. 
Can I ask you? Can I ask you an extension of that, just for the benefit of people listening that maybe think, well, dentistry's you know not for me or out of my reach? Do you think the profession that you take on makes a big difference to your ability to build wealth? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that one of our one of the dentist superpowers is their ability to create cash. And so it's what you do with that cash is there. So we were, we're advantaged from the, 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 from the outset. Uh, mind you, having said that, we don't start our careers until later on anyway. So we, most of us are probably about 23, 24 before we start earning. So we're quite a way behind, say, um, a tradesperson or, or someone similar there. Let me ask an extension question for those who maybe feel like, okay, well, I'm never going to be a dentist, so am I at a disadvantage? Do you think it's true that all dentists are good at wealth building? Uh, no, no, definitely not. Only a very small portion ever reach the, the level that we are at the moment. And I think one of the problems with dentists is that there's an expectation for them to live a higher lifestyle, even if they can't afford it. So because of that, then their wealth building strategies get fall behind as well too. So there are a lot of dentists who, who can ill afford to retire. Yep. I understand that. I see that every day. So tell me from a, like, let's talk about habits. You're someone who is highly disciplined in almost all areas of life. But if you were to reflect on what habits have you consciously cultivated that you think have contributed to your success, both in business and financially, what, what sort of things come to mind? I think frugality is definitely one from growing up in a let's be lowish income family as well. Too. So you're always conscious, even now when we are the position we are, now we, we could probably afford a lot of things, but we choose not to. So I think it's a habit that we haven't managed to get out of ourselves quite, just quite yet there. Other habits, definitely health has been one of the highest things on my agenda. So I do a lot of sport, um, nutrition, obviously, as well too. And also mindful about any bad habits such as excessive drinking and, and smoking as well. I'll tell you that. So just lifestyle choices makes a big is one that we've um, we've picked up over the years there. On the frugality side of things, my experience is that you can be very extreme about that. How have you brought more balance to that now that you are in a position that I mean you could have a very lavish lifestyle right now if you wanted, but you choose not to? Like how do you reconcile that in terms of the way that you speak inside the house? Probably through my wife. <laughs> so, so she she tell me more. She, she likes to spend money on on the little things, the things that make a difference there. And I I have no problems in in uh, letting her do that there. So I guess I can still be frugal, but she can still be extravagant if she wants to be there. That's funny. That's great. So, you know, I mean, this is a really important concept for a lot of people because often if someone is self-made and if they have created their own wealth, you know, giving oneself permission to spend money can be very challenging. Although I think you would call yourself relatively frugal, my observation is that you are selective about where you are, not extravagant, but where you choose to spend. So there's a real mindfulness there. I think the mindful is, is the, the value in the money that you spend and the return that you get out of it. So we do a bit of traveling. So for us, experiences are, are definitely high on our list. And I think we're not so much into material things. We leave this planet. You always take your memories away, but you won't take the, uh, the material things away with you there. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I'm curious. I just want to circle back. You mentioned that you would have liked to have retired by 40 What's changed 
because potentially like forgetting the, the age now, what was the objective when you started, if you were to describe it more in lifestyle terms, what were you, what were you really looking for? Definitely looking to, because I was working quite hard then. So we were doing five or six days a week. And as a dentist, that's quite a lot. I guess even though we're earning a very good income, we're losing a lot of time. We're losing a lot of choices as well too about what we could do and what we couldn't do. I guess the goal wasn't actually the the money side of things. It was actually to gain back time that you'll never, that's one currency that you'll never get back again there. And then I guess now, now that we've got a bit more time, then I suppose having some purpose and some meaning is more important for us now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so like if you were to describe the objective of your wealth journey now, how has it shifted? making a difference to other people there. So I'm going to leave some sort of legacy to the children and possibly to uh, maybe a charity or some sort of cause. That Love that. When we've gone there, that's still being looked after there. Yeah, that's fantastic. If I were to ask you, um, when you think back over your adult life, what are some of the changes that maybe you've had in your relationship to money and your thoughts about what money means? Can you see any shifts there or has it been relatively consistent? I think because of our situation with work and our, our, our good cash flow, I think I had tendency to be a little bit lax with money in terms of frugality and in, ter- in terms of being, I guess, mindful about where it's going. So we used to get into well, I, I did a lot of investing, and I guess we lost a lot of money over the uh, over the over the years there. And now, only recently, the lessons I learned that you know we just need to be a bit more mindful about. The, the quality of the investments we're getting into and, and where our strengths and weaknesses lie as well on too. Oh, look, that's that's music to my ears. That's fantastic. Tell me a little bit, if if you wouldn't mind, you can you can keep this relatively generic, but what kinds of investments have been really successful in your mind for you? And what investments have you learned some maybe painful lessons from? Okay, so this is an easy one. So I've, I've always been interested in property, mainly because my parents were were heavily into property at one stage. Um, so I've always felt he- uh, comfortable with property, uh, but we also did a lot of share trading as well too over the years as well too. One of the probably more aggressive investments we did, we did a lot of options trading as well too, and we lost a lot of money through that over the years as well too. And I guess I think you've got to know yourself and whether the investment type suits your investing type as well too. So uh, we've just kept it simple over the last few years and been a bit mindful about uh, where our money's going there. And what about on the uh, other end of the spectrum? Like, you know, you mentioned options trading, sort of what are the aspects of that that sort of you find unsettling or that maybe don't sit well with you? I think definitely is a, is a psychological part of aspect there. You wonder why you're doing these sorts of things, whether you're in it for the investing part or whether you're in it for the, uh, just for the uh, the ride or the the adrenaline rush there. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, let me ask you a hybrid question then. If I think there's always investments that we have along the way where you have mixed feelings about it. So for example, maybe overall it was a win, but you maybe make the decision you mightn't do it again. Do you have, do you have investments that have maybe fit into that category? Yeah, definitely. So in the property realm, we had a holiday let unit in Noosa, which Due to poor management, it never never really took off, and we just kept holding on, keeping holding off, hoping that things would improve, but they never did improve until I met you and we decided to make that harsh decision that to to, to cut ties with it there. And I think since then we've uh, we've not uh, looked back since then. It's just one one weight off our shoulders there. 
So yeah. Yeah, definitely making the, the right choices at the right time is, is important there. You're someone who's definitely tried a lot of things as an investor. And, you know, I think you've got a lot of wisdom, innate wisdom now around money and investing. What do you think is the biggest struggle for most people when it comes to investing? I think for them, it's pulling the trigger. Often you hear stories where people say, when the conditions are right, I'll actually invest. But the conditions are never ideal there. So it's just got to do it. I think having the right support around you helps as well too to ensure that you're on the right track as well. Investing is not a, is a, is a team sport rather than an individual sport there. And so what, is, what does that mean for you in terms of like how have mentors played a role for you in your wealth building journey? Like have you predominantly figured it out on your own and then seen the value of mentors later in life or how, how has that shown up? So I started off uh, as a sole a lone wolf. Lone wolf, doing, love it. Just doing everything on my own, thinking this is the way to do it. And then when you get an outside, independent, neutral perspective, and then you become, um, you can see another side of things there. And so for me, over the years, I've joined various groups and they've all been very beneficial for me then. So let's, um, let's change tack a little bit. I'd love to touch on this concept, which you also flagged earlier, which is around legacy. What does legacy actually mean to you in terms of what's the vision of what that looks like? I guess it means to me, because uh, I don't like seeing people struggle. And if we're in a position to be able to help and make a difference, then even if we're not here, then I'd like to leave something to be able to help them out there. And it doesn't necessarily have to be family. It could possibly be some sort of uh, charitable organization there. One of the things you and I have spoken about many times is, you know, how do you support members of your family, whether it's your children or extended family, without overstepping the mark or disempowering them? What have you come to believe is acceptable as far as supporting kids, for example? So I'm not a firm, but I'm not a believer of just giving them the money. I, I think it's um, a little bit of supervised struggling. So I like I don't mind them struggling where they can figure out solutions to get them out of their predicaments. Um, but obviously, if it becomes too overwhelming, then we're only too happy to to step in there. But definitely, I wouldn't hand out money without conditions involved there. Yeah, no, that's a really great way of articulating it. Tell me a bit about the attitudes that you've tried to cultivate in your children around the subject of money. So with, with, uh, I guess they're fortunate that they've seen, we've grown up in a household, we've always had some exposure to some sort of uh, investment. Yep. Uh, we haven't talked to them directly about it, but they know that things are going on in the background there. So the children pick up on things that you, you don't realize they do. <laughs> But when they've left home and, like, for instance, they wanted to buy a car, instead of giving them the money for a car, we'll say to them, we'll loan you the money, but you've got to pay us back there. And our big plan is that we didn't actually, we didn't expect the money to come back to us. We left it as a side fund for them to, to be given back to them later on there, just to give them the habit of actually budgeting and saving and investing. So just to get the right money habits for them there from the start, from the outset. No, I love that. And, you know, it, it's always really interesting hearing about how different people perceive the right amount of support to be quite different 
I think it is unique. And but I think the uh, the point that you're making, which I think is really valuable, is you, you want to mindfully, you know, orchestrate that struggle for your children rather than you know leaving it to chance or you know thinking about it in hindsight. So look, I, I think that's a, a fabulous insight. Tell me um, if we kind of change tack again. When did you start looking beyond conventional investing to, say, for example, the alternative space, alternative property investment space? Okay. So when I, when we first started investing in property, uh, this was back in the early 90s, negative gearing was uh, the flavor of the years, right? And we, we got into negative reasonably large way over the years there, but you can only fund so many properties of a certain level of income. And that was fine. It worked for us for many years there, but came to a point where we were propping up these properties through our business there. And there was a little fair bit of cash flow hemorrhaging there. So I guess the pain of forking out month on month was, was too great. So that's where I seek your help and tidied up house first before looking to the alternatives there. And, and so once we tidied up house, then going into the alternatives is uh, uh, probably a, a bright light for us there because it was different from conventional thinking. You know, we're taught a, this is the only, there's only one way you can invest, right? But the alternative space, to us, it initially looked risky, but having learned more about it, we found it's actually less risky there. So tell me a little bit about how adding alternative investments into your portfolio has kind of reshaped things and you know the sort of impact that it has. Well, definitely your your risk exposure is, is less because there's less capital involved and your return is much greater. So your money's working harder for you. So basically your time frame for whatever you wherever you want to go is shortened by by many, many years. And what sort of life impact has that had for you and Angela in terms of changes that you're thinking about or decisions that you're making or how you feel? We're a lot less stressed now, which means that we are less emotionally fired for important decisions. When you've got less pressure with financial obligations there, I think you can make better decisions there. And you've got more choices as well. So we're getting into currently doing a lot more traveling as well too there, which we wouldn't, wouldn't able to when COVID was around there. I think it's really interesting that, you know, you've actually fallen back in love with your business and you actually really love your patients and, you know, working in a much more balanced way has been a, you know, a, a really interesting evolution in terms of you actively choosing that. Tell me just as one final question then, what does wealth building mean to you now? Choices and time gained as well too. I turned 60 last year and you start to realize that you actually don't have that much more time on this earth. So whatever time you have left on there, you want to make sure it's quality time. Oh, fantastic. Barry, it's been such a pleasure and a privilege to have you on the podcast. You are such a fantastic contributing member in our community and um, yeah, I very much look forward to working with you in the years ahead. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Selena. I think I um, appreciate all the work that we've done together and looking forward to the future. Thanks for asking you on this podcast as well. Uh, it's awesome to have you. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.